kingdom of the planet of the apes has arrived in IMAX. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. The rumors started flying at that point. What had happened? There was a deceased body. Was it a murder? Was it an accident? There was a cliff involved. Did they fall off that cliff? What had happened? Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting far, far away from Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen. And guess what? We've got a three-parter. I know some people are going to be bummed about it because it's going to take you three weeks to get through. But this case is so fucking insane and robust and complex that I think this is one of Alexis's work of genius art. Yes. I agree. I was on, you know, Alexis writes the scripts and then sends her over to us. And I was, I was on the edge of my seat and I was texting you guys saying, this is really, really fucking good. I'll say that it starts strong, but, uh, (laughs) this is such a confusing, (laughs) fascinating case that don't feel yourself short. Ladies and gentlemen, Alexis Linkletter not being able to take a compliment. (laughs) I feel like the last one is just like the ramblings of a very like confused, angry you know there's so much going on to deconstruct in episode three i think you guys will love it uh episode one's my favorite that being said yes but alexis <laughs> it's all really good not to sell us short stick around for all three i know alexis <laughs> you're like don't bother listening to two and three it's not even worth it i have to say that it is worth it this it's honestly one of the craziest cases that i've ever come across that i've never heard of before and i don't think many people have heard of before so no, i've been uh, yeah this is absolutely one of the craziest ones i've ever seen and i've been doing this for over two decades so it's really good it's gonna be a wild ride but before we begin billy what day is it today okay well today is- wait sorry oh, sorry i have to say billy's wearing his hat I forgot yes. to make note of this. I'm not sure what he's trying to do because I'm already having a difficult day, but here we are. <laughs> I need a haircut. It's no, no excuse for the hat. Okay, you can continue. Okay, well, today is June 30th, and there is some controversy here because it's International Asteroid Day, and it's mm-hmm. also National Meteor Day. I know. I saw that. <laughs> I was like, ooh, it seems like there's some sort of competition going on on which day. Do you think they meet in like the empty streets of the of the universe? universe? And they're like, there can only be one. There can only and they're be like, one they yeah. have like a, a duel, like a gun match duel. There's something going on. I need to know which one started and which one is like... There's somebody at like the National Asteroid Convention that is <laughs> mad or had like some sort of a, an affair with somebody over at the Meteor Convention and wow. something yes. is happening. Absolutely. Well, apparently the latter holiday, uh, which was Asteroid Day, started in 1908. Oh, and they think whoa. that Meteor Day uh, was just jumping on the bandwagon. Oh, that's rude. By the way, this is interesting. Uh, the phrase wish upon a star is believed to have originated in Greece in the second century. Second. In the writings of Ptolemy. Wow. Yes. What and that's that's what that's what asteroids are, or you know, shooting stars, or vice versa. That's adorable. Are there any other days? 
you want more than that? Just give me one more. All right. All right. So there, another interesting day. It's National OOTD Day. There you go. That's there, the one I, I was looking you want for. Yes, outfit of the yes. day day. Ooh. You know, when you when you post your outfits, take a little mirror pic. Right now I am wearing a Barefoot Dreams full-length wizard robe, which is my outfit of the day. This is good for me because I need to start being more engaged on social media, which I'm going to try to do starting next week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Brace yourselves, everyone. I'm <laughs> There's sure. a chick who has no idea what she's doing. I'm putting myself on a schedule. I'm like, no, girl, you've been neglecting your social media. It's going to be fucking bleak yeah. and brutal and cringy. No. Brace yourselves. Every time, because we're obviously trying to promote Killing Time as its, its new separate episode. So I'm like, Alexis. And also Billy, who has never done this, but I'm like, Alexis, do a little story, do a little promo for Killing Time. And then I can tell and I can sense the anxiety and the dread that you have going into making this 15 second Instagram story. But like, I appreciate every time you do it. I feel like they're pretty good. I feel like the ones I've done so far aren't bad. No, they're amazing. But I right? know, but I know they don't come naturally. <laughs> no, I'm like, that's my 60th one, the one you saw. It was not an effortless process. It happens. At least. It happens. Yeah. But I appreciate your uh, uh, uh Rising effort. to the occasion. Yes. Okay. Well, Billy, I would also appreciate a story from you every once in a while. Uh, okay. You mean a, a, a vi- I've done stories. I just haven't done a, a video. Mm, but, you know, okay. it's just not really my my thing to do videos but i will do a video thank you okay yes. well glad that we decided on that and i may or may not be wearing a hat okay oh fuck all right well yeah that's enough of that so let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety because this could be you Our first degree for this story is named Jonathan. And when we read his email to us about sharing this story, it was not unlike the hundreds of other emails we receive monthly of the same nature. But that changed once I spoke with him and understood the complexities and curiosities of this case. We do this for a living, read about crime stories all day, every day, that is. So just believe me when I say that something about this case just hits different. This case is unique because it challenges logic and defies reason. We never intended to make this a three-parter, but trust me when I say we could not explain even the basic details of this case in one episode. And we want everyone connected to the story to know that we empathize with and respect everyone involved and mentioned. Our intrigue in telling the story stems from the many unanswered questions that remain. And we also want to say that a great deal of the information we will provide today, in addition to coming from our First Degrees firsthand account, comes from reporting done by Teresa McMinn and Mike Sawyers for the Cumberland Times News, who did such a fantastic job researching and reporting on the story that they were awarded a first place investigative journalism award by the Maryland, Delaware, D.C. Press Association. So the last caveat we want to provide is that we're recounting the events to the best of our ability based on the information from several sources. There's some nuance as well as conflicting information when it comes to this case. There's also rumors and innuendo. So we did our best despite that. Okay, so all of that being said, here we go, everyone. Buckle up. DNR Communications, TCA Winter speaking. May I help you? Yeah, this is Garrett County 911. I'm uh, transferring a caller to you, uh, reference to some lost hikers, I believe, in the 
in uh, Savage River area. Uh, should be there when I hang up, I believe. Okay. Hello? Um, hello. We are, we, we currently are looking for two individuals, and we believe that they're lost somewhere in the, um, I guess around the Savage River Reservoir, um, right around the Savage River hiking trail. Okay. Location, Maryland's Savage River State Forest. 54,000 acres of rugged terrain located in the north and northeastern part of Garrett County, with more than 11,000 acres of the forest having been designated as state wildlands. The exchange you just heard was made at approximately 2 a.m. on January 4th of 2017. The 911 caller was connected to Garrett County 911 dispatch, but then transferred to Maryland's Department of Natural Resources Police. The caller went on to share specifics about two friends of his who are believed to be missing. He referenced a specific spot within the Savage River State Forest, an old fire tower at High Rock. According to AllTrails.com, High Rock is a 2.2-mile, lightly-trafficked, out-and-back trail located near Grantsville, Maryland, that features beautiful wildflowers, and the hike is rated as moderate. The caller continued and described to the dispatcher how to find the entrance to this trail through a yellow gate off of Westernport Road. The caller had the coordinates of this location in his phone, which he shared with the dispatcher. The male's name? Alex. Alexander Stevens. And the lady's name? Megan Schaefer. That's M-E-G-A-N-S-H-A-F-F-E-R. Okay. Uh, Your name? Even move. Steven? You study sp- with a B. Huh? Even with the B, yes. Okay. okay, and your last name? Moon, M O L N. 20 year old Megan Schaefer and 24 year old Alexander Alex Stevens were believed to be missing, lost within Savage River State Forest. The caller is Stephen Moon, one of Alex's best friends since middle school. If you do some research on the status of Alex and Megan's relationship, you'll find different descriptions based on where you look. Some sources refer to them as boyfriend-girlfriend, some call them friends, and some refer to them as exes who were now friends. Either way, they were close. The real mystery was, how exactly did these two 20-somethings come to be lost in this dangerous wilderness in the middle of the night? And more importantly, why? According to media reports, the search for Alex began with his twin sister, Tristan, and she called Stephen Moon looking for her brother when she couldn't reach him. Stephen hadn't heard from Alex either. And without talking to him or knowing with certainty, Stephen could think of two places where he should look for his friend. One location was a local cemetery where he and Alex used to hang out and have picnics together. The second place Stephen decided to check for his friend was High Rock at Savage River State Park. At the top of the trail, there was a 90-foot-tall wooden fire tower. And according to Stephen, he believed High Rock was a good place to look because recently Alex had asked Stephen to send him coordinates to this location. The entrance to this trailhead to High Rock was 40 minutes from the residential areas where they all lived. When Stephen arrived to look for Alex, it was 11.30 p.m. It was raining, and the temperature was hovering around 40 degrees. And when he reached the base of the trailhead, he spotted two parked vehicles. One was a 2010 Hyundai Elantra, 
and the other was a 2006 Nissan 350Z. These cars belonged to Stephen's missing friends. The Nissan was Alex's, and the Hyundai was Megan's. But there was something strange about the state these cars were found in. When Stephen approached Megan's car, he observed that the key to Megan's car was actually turned to the on position. The car's lights were on, and the radio was playing, and there was a cell phone on the back seat. Alex's Nissan Z had the hood propped open, and it was covered with some sort of liquid chemical. And there was a bottle of motor oil on the roof. I'm telling you right now, if I saw this at the base of a trailhead with witchy headlights on and a key turned on and the radio playing, I'd be like, "That is, I'm good. It's straight up out of a horror film. And also, the whatever liquidy chemical that's all over the car, I would be scared the car was about to blow up. Yeah, honestly, I think we need to look at this. As we go through the sequence of events, I think we need to be... Uh, discerning when we look at this because Stephen Moon pursues them down this trail despite seeing this creepy scene. And I think that's very interesting. Yeah. Well, it's also because you're looking at this every time you come upon, you know, one car that's on another car whose hood is open, you're thinking that, all right, something must have happened. Uh, they might be somebody lost a charge. They need to, you know, there's something wrong with one of the cars. Would the people go into the trail or would they go looking for help? Yeah, where are they, where are they going? There's no, totally. there's no world in which this scene is a good one. Right. So the discovery of these cars validated Stephen's hunch that Alex was probably here. And apparently Megan was with him and they'd likely hike this trail to High Rock. So using only his cell phone camera to illuminate the path in front of him, Stephen hiked more than a mile to the top of High Rock towards the abandoned fire tower. We're in the middle of the night. And once he reached the intended location, he made some very startling and concerning discoveries. He found melted candles. He found a backpack that he described as covered with a liquid that felt greasy. The backpack was filled with men's and women's clothing. And he also spotted a container of motor oil. He also saw what looked to be a cat in a cat carrier. So a cat carrier, one of those handled plastic boxes with bars in the front that you'd use to transport your pet to the vet. So... His friend Alex's cat, Sibelia, this newly adopted feline, was up here on this cliff in the middle of the night all by himself. And this is a new adopted cat. So Stephen is thinking, like, what the hell is going on here? The scene, undeniably, had concerning and very ritualistic undertones. So when Stephen reached the top of High Rock, he was yelling for Alex and Megan as loudly and for as long as he could. And he looked for them in the immediate proximity to where he was. He had no success finding them, so he turned around and he hiked more than a mile back to his car, and he took Alex's cat with him. Stephen Moon had reached the gate to the High Rock at around 11.30 p.m., and his call to 911 was at about 2 a.m. So according to the reporting in the Cumberland Times News, Stephen was in the presence of Alex's parents when he made this worried call. He relayed the strange findings and the circumstances to the dispatcher and provided a description of the couple. Alex, uh, he's a white male with black longer hair and he wears glasses and Megan is a white female with dirty blonde hair. So the dispatcher obviously has follow-up questions. Like, does the missing couple have their cell phones with them? And Stephen says that efforts to contact them via cell were not successful. And remember, Stephen spotted a cell phone in the back of Megan's car. Stephen also provided more puzzling details. It's believed that Alex and Megan also have two ferrets and a small dog with them. So the cat Stephen discovered was not the only pet 
that Alex and Megan brought with them on this strange adventure this night. So it's getting very, very strange. Right. And while Stephen is on the phone with 911, there's speculation and questions about what kind of situation they're dealing with here. This certainly doesn't seem like your run-of-the-mill case of two missing hikers. Something about this scenario seems much, much darker. Hello? Hey, this is Kitty calling for communications. What's going on? We got a missing couple in Savage River State Forest. Possible suicide. Possible suicide. So Stephen made an ominous suggestion when he was reporting the bizarre events of this evening to the dispatcher. He believed that his friend Alex had gone into the woods to kill himself that night. And when asked about what Alex and Megan could be doing out in the woods, this was most likely the theory that Stephen could come up with. And multiple law enforcement agencies would become involved in the search efforts to locate Megan and Alex. And the possibility that this couple had gone on what's described as a quote-unquote suicide walk began to spread amongst them. The agencies that would be involved in this rescue effort were notified that the -the on-the-ground search would begin at sunrise. Enter our first degree, Jonathan. But before you hear from him, you need a little background info. We explain the geography of Savage River State Forest. This is not a residential area. We're talking dense, remote wilderness. Where Jonathan lived, as well as many of the other individuals connected with the story, is a town called Westerport. It was about a 40-minute drive from Westerport to the High Rock Trailhead. So we live in a small town called Westerport. However, this occurred in the state forest, which is kind of outside of city limits in between several different towns, actually in a whole other county. The town that we live in and the town surrounding it are all rural and very, very small. Everyone knows everybody. And the population of the towns, the average size is probably no bigger than probably 1,000 for Western Port, and then the surrounding towns, no bigger than three or 400 people. So based on Jonathan's description, the communities we're dealing with are made up of teeny tiny towns with teeny tiny populations. And you know what that generally means. Gossip. A lot of gossip. And it was early in the morning on January 4th, 2017, just a few days after the turn of the new year. These are typically days of hibernation. Some more context. Jonathan also worked as a volunteer for the local fire department. And while you kind of have to be ready to get called out to a scene at any time. The majority of your fire service and your EMTs are almost all volunteer. About 80% of them are. And and as an EMT and and as a firefighter, I got to see a plethora of different calls. From drug overdoses and the heroin epidemic across the nation, we got to go on trauma calls, of course. I've been on involvement incidents of gunshot wounds, um, and your basic stuff, too. Nosebleeds, headaches, broken ankles, twisted ankles, broken legs, um, falling down steps. So we've gone, I go on a, a multitude of, of different types of EMS calls. So Jonathan was prepared to be called out at any time, but nothing could have prepared him for the scenario that was unfolding at Savage River State Forest. I do remember when I was on that day. I was just relaxing at home and doing some homework. And as a volunteer, we go when the whistle blows, when usually drop what we're doing and go on the call. And so at that time, sitting at home, and of course, the phone went off, the fire whistle had blown, um, and it was actually for a rip call. So what exactly is a rope call? The company that I volunteer for um, has a, as a rope team, a rope rescue team, a team that 
repels off cliffs or a team that would go and help with water rescues and is really that technical rescuer side. A rope team is called in when there's a tactical obstacle like a cliff or water or some rough terrain that needs traversing. And once Jonathan learned where he was being called, he understood exactly why a rope team would be needed. High Rock, which is where Alex and Megan's things were found, was basically a cliff with an approximate 30-foot drop. And because it was a cliff, they called the rope team out. And that rope team would respond um, in case we had to repel off the cliff, in case we were to have to use any technical rescuers with harnesses and and ropes. We would respond to that and assist um, the local fire companies that were there. Calling for the rope team was a smart move because we're talking endless acres of treacherous wilderness. And here's the thing. By this point, Alex and Megan could be anywhere. Very rural Appalachia in the middle of nowhere. Savage River runs through the forest. It was a little bit away from the particular river itself. But if people are familiar, that Savage River used to be home many, many years ago. It's a uh, whitewater rafting river. Very rugged, very rural, lots of mountains. Along with another volunteer, Jonathan made the 40-minute drive to the Savage River area. And at this point, he didn't know a ton about what was going on. We were looking for two individuals who were apparently lost. We didn't know if it was in the forest. We didn't know if it was in the woods, in a creek, or at the time, where we, we, we thought they were located was on a cliff. Slowly, Jonathan learned more details about these missing hikers. And once he heard the names of the missing parties... He was stunned. So I knew pretty soon on after who it was, and I was kind of astonished and shocked at that point, thinking, oh my goodness, I know this person. Like, are they okay? What happened? Jonathan just happened to be very well acquainted with 20-year-old Megan Schaefer. I worked with Megan for many, many years. There's a local karate studio in town, and Megan was kind of a mentor for me growing up in the, in the, in the, karate, in the karate studio. Um, As I progressed my way into Black Belt, she was a teacher of mine and a teacher of lots of different friends that I I knew. And so she did have her Black Belt in Taekwondo, as do I. And we got to know each other and um, got to know her family and actually her brother as well through the martial arts studio. When you search online for information about Megan Schaefer, you can find the general things you'd expect. At the time, her Facebook said she was from Ridgely, Western Virginia, and it isn't clear to me at what point she lived in Western Virginia, but credible reporting on this case indicates the same thing. So at some point, that's where she's from or where she lived or something like that. But Megan had gone to Frankfurt High School and previously held jobs at Bath and Body Works, as well as Kick Masters Karate, LLC, which is where she met Jonathan. At the time, Megan was enrolled at Frostburg State University with a major in business administration. More on Megan. She was just always upbeat, always outgoing. And, you know, the one thing in martial arts that you typically see on TV is that fighting scene stuff. Now, martial arts for me is a lot more than that. It's about respect. It's about discipline. We do a lot of different learning of terms and definitions of the history of martial arts. But Megan was always a a great spar, which means sparring is when you face off against an opponent one-on-one, kicks, punches, of course, gloved up or have pads on. But however, she's really, really, really good. So Megan was physically fit. She was a black belt. And as Jonathan described, she taught Taekwondo and was very committed to her martial arts discipline. She was strong. She was very into weightlifting and she was happy, upbeat and had a great family. 
And all these factors made the fact that Megan was missing in the woods under these scary and extraordinary circumstances that much more perplexing and inexplicable. Jonathan had absolutely no idea what to think. No one did. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Okay, so it comes as no surprise that I have absolutely no idea how to cook. I don't want to learn how to cook. It's not really my thing. But when I tried Factor meals, it was a freaking game changer. So Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. So the first time I tried Factor meals, I was actually blown away because I'm like, that's it. That That's all it is. Two minutes and the meals are so delicious. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. And you can treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, ooh, fancy, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Like I said, they're so easy to prepare. I love them. So head to factormeals.com slash degree50 and use code degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code degree50 at factorymeals.com slash degree50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. It's almost summer and the best and most sustainable way to shop for a new season is on therealreal.com. The Real Real is the largest and most trusted source for authenticated luxury resale. It's the only place you'll find brands like Hermes, Cartier, Prada, Dior, Stodd, Zimmerman, Jacquemus, and more for up to 90% off retail. 10,000 plus new arrivals land every single day from hundreds of brands you love, all authenticated by a team of in-house experts. Whether it's that perfect wedding guest look, a new summer sandal, an updated beach tote, resort wear for your summer vacation, you're bound to find exactly what you're looking for, plus deals you won't get anywhere else on therealreal.com. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. At dawn on January 4th of 2017, the search for Alex Stevens and Megan Schaefer was underway at Savage River State Forest in Maryland. Alex's friend Steven had made some bizarre discoveries on a cliff after hiking up to High Rock, which included Alex's pet cat locked in a carrier, burned candles, and other personal items strewn about. He called 911 and ignited the search. Our first read, Jonathan, a volunteer firefighter, was called to the scene to assist in the rescue mission. And upon his arrival, he learned that the young woman who was missing was Megan Schaefer, who'd been a friend and mentor of his for years. The search for Alex and Megan was well underway when yet another 911 call came in. Okay, uh, the missing people that you have down in uh, Savage River? Correct. Uh, we have a small child on the phone um, stating that she's one of them that was lost overnight and she is now at 2316. 
18 Pine Swamp Road. Do you have her name? Uh, what's her name? Megan Schaefer. Megan was alive. And due to the sound of Megan's voice, there was some confusion about her age, as you heard in the clip we just played. We'll let you hear for yourself. 911, what's the address of your emergency? You don't know where you are. What's your name? Megan Schaefer. As you can hear, Megan doesn't sound great at all. But the important thing was that she was alive. But there's so many questions. Where is she calling from? Whose phone is she using? Was she hurt? And was Alex with her? What's wrong? What's going on, Megan? In the woods. Are you the one that was lost? I was in the woods and found a house. You found a house? Okay. Megan was in a house somewhere, but she had no idea where. She looked around for some mail to relay the address to the dispatcher. And she finally found some. She was at 2316 Pine Swamp Road which is listed as being in the town of Barton, Maryland. If you pull this address up in Google Earth, you'll get an idea about how remote this place is. So this is where Megan was. But what was she doing there? And how'd she get there? 2316 Pine Swamp Road, okay. I want to stay on the phone with you until we get somebody there with you, okay? Is there anybody there at the house? No, there's no one here. Okay, so you, you, was there anybody else with you that was lost? Yeah, we were There was one other male. Okay, are you hurt or injured? Do you need an ambulance? I need an ambulance. Okay, where's the other person that was with you? He's still in the woods. Slowly but surely, the dispatcher pulls details out of Megan. We know she's alive. We know she's hurt badly enough to need an ambulance. And we know that she and Alex had been together, but he's still in the woods. We know that she's at this house on Pine Swamp Road, but we have no context otherwise. Okay, just stay on the phone with me. I'm going to get some information, okay? Are you inside the house now? Are you sure there's no one there? Yes. Okay, I don't, because I mean, do you know whose home that is? No. Okay. I just found it and needed to call someone. Okay, and you went in and got the phone? Yeah. I need you to do one thing. I need you to make sure there's no one in the house that may hurt you if you wake, if, uh, if they come out and find you. This vacant house that Megan stumbled upon was about a mile from High Rock, where her and Alex's things were found. Given that Megan was injured and it was a cold winter day, the fact that she made it to this house at all is pretty astonishing. So the dispatcher is still on the phone with Megan and is trying to get a better understanding of her injuries. Are you injured or you just you just need an ambulance because of your are you cold? Both. You're cold. Both. Both. What? How are you injured? Okay, what happened? You fell off a cliff. Okay, you fell off a cliff? Yeah. Megan fell off a cliff. And presumably, she fell off High Rock, where there is a cliff. A deduction we can make based on the objects belonging to Alex and Megan that were found there. 
And as first responders made their way to the house on Pine Swamp Road, the dispatcher kept Megan on the phone and their line of questioning shifted towards Alex. So where's the other person that you were with? What's his name? Alex what? Stevens. Alex Stevens? And where is Alex? He's still in the morning. Okay, was he okay? No. Is, 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 he, is he hurt or is he... Okay. I believe he's dead. You think he's dead? Yes. What, did you both fall off the cliff? So this is a shocking development. It's impossible to say what these law enforcement officers are really thinking at this moment and how those thoughts may have evolved as the scenario is unfolding. But you have to think that when Megan turned up alive, that perhaps this theory about a two-person suicide walk kind of flew out the window. Maybe they had just gotten lost. And if Megan was alive, there's a good chance that Alex was alive too. But now they're learning that this isn't the case at all. So Megan had said that she and Alex had fallen off a cliff. Megan survived the fall, but it seems as though Alex didn't. And those involved in these rescue efforts continued to be updated on the developments, including our first degree Jonathan, who was standing by at the scene. I was confused um, because I wasn't sure what had happened. I knew that someone had passed away. I knew Megan was involved. I knew that she apparently had no had no clothes on at the time. She was hypothermic, and they'd been apparently gone all night. We thought they may be on the cliff. We thought they may have fallen over the cliff. One had made it out. Of course, Megan had made it to the phone and into the house. Learning that Alex was not believed to be alive was a huge blow, and they needed to know more. But at the moment, the focus was on recovering Megan. First responders had arrived at the house. Can you hear him knocking? No. I heard them knock once. You heard them knock once? Yeah, I do. You do? Okay, holler. Tell them to come in. Megan could hear the officers outside, but she was too injured to get up and let them into the house. Is it a police officer? Is that who you see? Who do you see? Is it, okay, can you get? Can you try to get to the window and bang on a window or something so that he can see you? No. Is there a window close to you? The officers forced the door open and made entry. I've got her. Okay. You got her? Hello? Once inside, the responders observed Megan laying on a couch under a blanket. She was in really rough shape. Yeah, is this a DNR? It's corporal male, yeah. Okay, okay, I'll let you go. Can you tell me if, she, if she's injured or anything? She, she doesn't have any clothes on, and she's hypothermic. She's, uh, okay, like as far as, like, no clothes whatsoever? Do you have any clothes on? None. Okay, okay. All right, I've, I've, yeah, the, the, I'm on the phone with the officer. Okay, I'm going to let you go. I'll, the ambulance and fire department, uh, there's a lot of units headed your way, so... Okay, good. She said he, the other individual, uh, and her fell up at the up at the Overlook Tower, um, and he's still up with there. The other guy? And he's still up there. She said that she believes him to be deceased. Okay. Megan was naked, hypothermic, and had injuries along with cuts and scrapes. But the most important thing was that she was alive. She was loaded into an ambulance and rushed to the Western Maryland Regional Medical Center for treatment. And quickly, a helicopter was in the sky, 
looking for Alex. At that point, they had launched a helicopter for search. The helicopter was using what we call a, a FLIR technology. It's kind of like a thermal imager. So they were searching for the particular people um, with the thermal imager to see where their bodies may be, where they're at, are they on the cliff, what are we going to need to get them out of there. 7104. At approximately 9.30 a.m., the helicopter spotted something, a figure on the forest floor, and the figure wasn't moving. The camera picked him up and said that he was located down over the hill. It doesn't look like he appears to be moving, and at that point, first responders were already ahead of us, so they had gone down to the stream area, the wooded area, found him, and then, of course, pronounced him deceased. Alex's body was found about a mile and a half from the base of High Rock, the cliff that Megan and Alex allegedly fell from. He was lying face down in a water drainage ditch. And when responders approached, they observed that, like Megan, Alex was also naked. Like Megan, he also had cuts and scrapes on him as though he had sustained a fall. But Alex was dead. And there was one more big disparity between Alex and Megan. Alex's throat had been slit, and a seven-inch kitchen knife was next to his head. The state of Alex's body and the injuries that he sustained were horrifying and bewildering. What the fuck happened in the woods? And how can this be explained? Jonathan struggled to understand how Megan fit into this. I've heard candles, we heard cats, we heard knives, and of course, all that kind of leads to like satanic rituals, what everyone was kind of going and pointing towards. And that was concerning. They were talking about the car being abandoned and there was weird stuff in the car. And that that just threw me for a loop because, like I said, Megan was strong. So something would have occurred in the woods and she could have defended herself. Very, very feasible that that could have occurred. So I was, I think, just as confused as everyone else was trying to figure out who the victim is. Is she okay? Of course, she is my friend. I mean, is she is she okay? Is she injured? And it was everyone, like everyone else, was just trying to piece the puzzle together, trying to figure out what the heck happened that night and that morning. This investigation, which began as a case of two missing hikers, then turned into a possible suicide, was being relabeled once again. Communications, Coleman. How may I help you? Hi, Coleman. This is Captain Albert. How are you? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Hey, can you put a text out for me, please? Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> the, the person that we were looking for, mm-hmm. I don't know how we want to word this, but the deceased individual was fe- uh, located on private property. Mm-hmm. And the investigation will now be a homicide investigation. Ooh. And Maryland State Police will be taking over. The rumors started flying at that point. What had happened? There was a deceased body. Was it a murder? Was it an accident? There was a cliff involved. Did they fall off that cliff? What had happened? What the hell happened? This case and the series of unfortunate events connected to it would shock, awe, and seduce the residents of the small towns making up this area. We're only in episode one, and so far we have a dead man naked with his throat slashed in the woods, missing pets, an abandoned cat and a carrier candles and mysterious liquids and a woman found naked and injured and this woman has a story but what we don't have are any answers it's hard to believe that with all of the aforementioned we're actually just getting started
definitely are. And we will be back next week with Jonathan as our first degree guest. If you are listening out there and you have a story to tell, you can email us hello at the first degree podcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at Jack Vanek, at Alexis Linkletter, at Billy Jensen, at the first degree. Join our Facebook group by searching the first degree in the search bar. We are talking true crime all the time. And stick around tomorrow for a brand new episode of Killing Time right in our feed. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close. But not that that close. close. Happy Meteor Day. Asteroid Day. Asteroid Day. Meteor Day. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring original music for The First Degree. Our producing team, Caitlin Cleveland, Taylor Rogers, and Alan Santiago for Podcast One. Sources for this episode include reporting for the Cumberland Times. Times News by Teresa McMinn and Mike Sawyers, who did an amazing job covering the story, CNHI News, WV News, court documents, and as always, our first three guest is always our largest source.